evening. It was a pretty nice day today. It seemed to get even windier longer than the days go. <laughs> or closer tonight, I guess. I did get a chance to talk to Vivi uh, uh, and Dennis Schaefer. She did go to the hospital, but she did not have heart problems. What she had was uh, something they said in her back and in her neck. Because I, I relate to that because I went in one time and thought that I had a heart attack and said the same thing. And, but they're doing a lot better. Uh, Dennis is very much uh, relieved, and I can understand. And I was very much relieved. I told them I really appreciated them letting me know uh, that they're doing a whole lot better anyway. And Daryl is resting today. He's, uh, his eyes have been um, been a problem for a couple of weeks, I guess, or so. Maybe, maybe longer uh, anyway. Uh, he was anointed last night. And uh, it's, it takes time. Maybe God's telling him like he told uh, Paul. He said, wait, my... my uh, my love and my mercy is, is all you need. But he's got to keep going until he is resting tonight. Anyway. Now we took the Passover and uh, I asked myself, um, you know that your sins were forgiven. So I always looked at that uh, when I took the Passover. Um, as the scripture said, uh, on the first day of unleavened bread, you put the leavening out, or for us, it would put the sin out of our life. We do that on Passover evening. That's when we put the leavening for the whole past year, put that out of our lives. And uh, then we have the seven daylight portions of Passover week, as it is, that we do unleavened bread in which I was glad Daryl brought that out because I'm sometimes slow at learning and when he pointed out that uh, you look into your own life into your, your or your sins throughout the next seven days. Make sure you, you're you trying to repair any damage that you might have done from Passover to Passover. I look at it, unleavened bread we look for change in our life. That's what we should be seeing. Am I making changes in my life? Uh, not always, you know. It's, it's easy as a human being to overlook some of the things that, that we do. Uh, I ask some questions. Why does it seem to be so easy to justify my actions. Uh, so I, I go into Passover and I can say, well, um, I said some sharp things to one person. Well, that's okay. Uh, he needed it anyway. <laughs> or she needed it anyway. Or it's not really my fault. It's the other person's fault. I don't know if you've ever done that or not. Let me put that down under my eyes. That's better. Uh, it just seems that at times, no matter what I do or what's been done, it could be good or bad, 
find it easy to make excuses for what you do. Sometimes it's peer pressure. You might do something really good, and and maybe they don't mean it, but they come up and say, "Why did you do something like that?" You know. Uh, I remember when I worked at Wellex, uh, the boss would come up to me and he's uh, he'd say, "Why did you do it that way?" But he was just chiding me, really, because what had happened was I wasn't an engineer. I was a technician, but I was doing the work of an engineer, so I couldn't be, I couldn't qualify to go into the Monday morning quarterback meetings. And the other fellow that would go in there, and he'd, he would uh, say some things, and then my boss would come back and say, why did you do that? Because he was just chiding me because I told the other engineer how to do his job, and so he was justifying himself by saying, well, because Nelson told me how to do it. <laughs> and then I get to kick back on it anyway. So why is it? Why, why do, and I sit there and try to justify why I told him those things. And uh, so it doesn't make any difference if I did something wrong uh, and I get chewed out for it. I would say, well, it was... It was this way or that way or some other way. I really, you know, I had excuses for why I did those things. Anyway, that's basically what happens so often. It's so easy for you to make a mistake and then be called on the carpet for it or a good thing and be, say, how do you justify what you did? You know, if you worked at NASA, sometimes you'd find that all the time. <laughs> And football lectures that way too. Anyway, I find that I had difficulties and I do this. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're way beyond that. You, you do things and you don't care what, what happens. You know? uh, we had a water problem and I, I felt like I, I uh, got a little bit sharp with, with uh, the one person that called me. And, but I was frustrated. Um, so I'm going to justify my actions with this guy because I've been frustrated with the actions of some of, the, of our uh, other people living out here for years. Uh, Cacho knows he and I prepared a well and they called the law on us. You know, we didn't fix the well for everybody else and we didn't charge them for it. So, but that's okay. But I find that. Sometimes I, I do that. I try to justify my actions. And, and my justification to the person was, I got tired of all the com comments I get back from them of negativity when we do something good. And I said, I'm willing, I'm waiting for them to call me. I'm tired of these calling. So it's, I shouldn't justify my actions that way. I really shouldn't. Just do the job. Try to get it done. They give me a real hard time or we'll get Ivan or Kacho and they can come over there and they can fight them off for me. <laughs> anyway, King Saul is a, is a scripture of a, of a, a king. He was uh, made king, but he didn't always have patience. And his patience, let's turn to First Samuel chapter 13.
First Samuel chapter 13. And this is about King Saul. And one of his times he had lack of patience. First Kings 13, beginning in verse 8. And he carried, King Saul carried, or I guess Samuel carried, seven days according to the set time Samuel did appointed. And Samuel came not to Gilgal and to the people scattered from him. So he took extra time. Maybe God deliberately did it. Um, for some reason or other, he got there late. Then he goes on, and then King Saul said, so here's King Saul. He's supposed to go out to battle. He's waiting for Samuel to come to make a sacrifice. And King Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offering. And he offered a burnt offering. That was not his job. He, King Saul, um, wanted to sacrifice, he wanted to get out there and get the battle going, but he knew he was supposed to wait for Samuel to come. But he didn't have enough patience to wait, so he went ahead and did something that he shouldn't have done. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel chided, and and Saul went uh, Samuel showed up, and Saul went to meet him at the, the might of, and he saluted him. And Samuel said, "What, uh, what have you done?" So here's the question: You know you shouldn't do those things. You know it was you didn't. You were not. It was not your job or your responsibility. It was my responsibility. But you did it anyway. So he said, why did you do this? Ask him the question. Um, and Saul said, my excuse. Uh, I'm going to tell you why I did this. Because you didn't show up. And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered. So he's justifying his actions. The people were scattered, so... Uh, and and that uh, you, your fault, your problem, because uh, because I saw the people scattered and 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 that cannot be not within the days appointed. You didn't show up in the time appointed, and the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. So he said, I was worried. Uh, these people are going to come fight against us, and you didn't come. It's your fault. Uh, so I did this. I made the sacrifice because it's your fault, Samuel. Therefore, I and the Philistines will come down. He thought the Philistines are going to come down on us at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I forced myself. He's basically saying uh, he's as good as Samuel. So I forced myself to do this, to make the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. 
God doesn't like us to be foolish. He doesn't want us to do things that we shouldn't do. And I see that happening so many times in my years in the church where people would go above what they should have done and they do foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Eternal, your God, which He commanded you. You now know that the Lord has established you, your kingdom upon Israel for if he would have just had some patience and not justify his actions. But King Saul didn't do that. He justified everything he did. And because of that, he lost his opportunity to have his family forever be king of, of Israel. It's a sad state of affairs. But he justified his actions. See, I think I might have a double thing here. Page over. Anyways, go down to 1 Samuel 15 now. 1 Samuel 15, verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Behold, be you... Um, Blessed be you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. So here we find that I had given Sam, uh, given uh, Saul a responsibility to go out and kill the Philistines, to totally annihilate genocide of the Philistines. And he said, I did it, I know it, and he went out to do it. So now we find this is after the battle, after everything's over. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you, blessed be the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel said, What means the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the howling of the ox which I hear? If you did exactly what God told you to do, why do I hear the cows? Why do I hear the sheep? Why do I see what I see out here? And Samuel, uh, Saul said to, to Samuel, Saul said to Samuel, they have brought them from the Amalekites. So here he's justifying his actions. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. I didn't do this. It was the people. It's the people. Um, they have brought them from Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the, of the oxen to sacrifice to the eternal our God. And the rest we have done utterly destroyed. Except for one other thing, which he didn't bring out. He brought King Agag. And one of the things was that because they had uh, given the, the Israelites such a hard time when they were leaving Egypt. And so they were, were supposed to destroy all of them. In fact, 
you can find out that in Esther, when uh, Haman and his family were hanged, Haman and his family were Amalekites. And they were part of the ones that were supposed to be destroyed, but they didn't. So they kept some of them around. In chapter 15, verse 19. Wherefore did you not obey the voice of the Eternal? So God is expecting us to obey Him. Well, whatever God says. And it's easy to hear a sermon, you know, and it doesn't really come to what you really want done. And so you can justify yourself. Are you really obeying then, as it says here, the voice of the eternal? Because God is the one directing most of this. His voice, His, uh, in, in Romans, it says that we're to uh, obey God's voice and and it's those that circumcise the heart, not the physically circumcised. And when he, and let's see, and obey, but did, uh, did fight upon the spoil and did evil in the sight of God. So when he allowed it, he was king. He had the command. If you didn't do it, he could have your head or put you in, in prison. So he had the, the power and the responsibility, but it was in his job and he didn't fulfill what he's supposed to. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yes, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought back, oh, I brought back King Agag and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, we know he didn't. He had a responsibility. So when we have a responsibility, uh, if we're given a job to do, do we do it all the way? Um, it's easy to justify yourself and say, well, I did it the best I could. But he didn't do that. But the, he pointed out that the people brought everything back. The king was justifying everything that happened, even though he knew what he was supposed to do. Samuel said to him, Has the eternal as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the eternal? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to... Uh, and to hearken unto the eternal than the fat of rams. You know, I I look at other people that God brought forth. You can go back to, I'll paraphrase my thoughts on, back in Genesis, what do we have? Adam and Eve. Adam was told exactly what to do. And God put him in a garden. Offered everything to him. I mean, he was you got to imagine, he didn't have to work for food. It was there. He had good weather. He had everything. Except, God said, I've got one thing I'm telling you, you can't do. And that is to eat of this one tree. Everything else is yours. 
And so we know the story goes on where Eve ate of the tree and Adam ate of the tree. I, I look at that as like today, the American man, we put out there and say, okay, I'm going to watch her. Because it said he was there with her. She took the tree. She ate the tree. What did he do? Sit there and say, oh, well, when is she going to go into convulsions? Maybe she's going to just flip over and die right there. And he watched. And because she didn't, because she didn't die, hey, I'll eat it too. must be okay. It must. He disobeyed a direct command by God. And so what happened then? God comes on the scene, and Adam hides himself because he saw he was naked, so he, he clothed himself, he clothed Eve, so they were dressed, and God looks for him. He said, well, we hid ourselves because we were naked. And, you know, he said, uh, we were naked. He justified hiding from God. That's his first justification. That's his first deal. He, he hid from God because he didn't want to do it God's way. Or he didn't do it God's way. He didn't repent. He just said, okay. And he said, why did you do that? So like the uh, American men today, they said, um, well, it was the girl. <laughs> you know? It's not my fault. It's the girl. You know? Uh, and then he says to God, it's your fault because you made the girl. You know, I can't help it because you designed women so beautiful. They're so well-developed. I mean, it's so great. So we today even do that. It's not my fault. It's the girl's fault. You know, you've got to face it. You girls are completely the problem. You lead us astray. <laughs> and Eve did the same thing. She said, no, it's the guy's fault. <laughs> So we, we justify. Even there, the, they didn't have a background. I think God, eventually, once they learn the right way to live and how to do it right, would probably allow them to see the wrong way. But right, they took it on their own self. Instead of repenting, we said it's the girl's fault. <laughs> and she would say it's the guy's fault. It's God's fault because he created us that way. Uh, take another example of somebody that uh, justified his actions. Um, I, I'll get it. I'm getting over. I keep forgetting names there. Um, Elijah. You know, here Elijah done a lot of spectacular things. He raised the dead. He healed people. Well, he didn't. He through God's power, healed people, raised the people from the dead. Anyway, he was there. He got all the people together. Um, he said, we're going to decide who we're going to worship, God or Baal. And we know the incident there that they could not bring fire, but God did. And after that very mighty, powerful thing, he praised to God, gets the water, the rain to come again. Then Jezebel says, uh, I'm going to kill you for what you did. And what did Elijah do? 
Here's a man who has been with God, probably walking with God, doing it God's way, and he runs. He runs away. And an angel comes and tells him to eat. He tells him twice it's a long trip, about 40 days to get to where you're going, so you need to have a good a good amount of food in you. He gets there. He finds a cave. He hides in a cave. He sees a fantastic hurricane come through. He sees an earthquake. Big, marvelous things, tremendous things happen. And then God says, what are you doing here? And he justified his actions. So, even a person that is walking with God, talking with God, doing God's work, God's way, we find that they too find opportunities or pressures from the outside to justify their actions. And it's a sad state of affairs. So, if people that were powerful, um, David, David repented. These other people didn't so much repent. But if these who are supposedly right there with God all the time can make a mistake, can we? Is it possible that we can slip up someplace down the line? I think it is. I think it's easy. You know, it's, we, we take the Passover, we start eating unleavened bread. When you eat the unleavened bread, what do you think? You, it's easy to think, well, this is, if we, if we doctor it up enough, it tastes pretty good. Uh, if you ate some of what I made, you'd say it didn't taste pretty good. But it was unleavened bread. But why do we eat the unleavened bread? What, what's the purpose behind it? We should be, each time we eat that, we should be thinking, I should be looking into my life, um, searching it out, continuing to, and I thought that was great when they were brought that out because I hadn't thought about that that way. But I should be each day eating that unleavened bread and thinking, why am I eating that bread? What's the purpose behind it? I should be looking at, have I changed? Or do I still have a little bit of this or that that holds me back. And am I justifying it because it's okay, it's okay because um, it's the other person's fault. It's never my fault. It's probably even God's fault because he brought me there. He did those things to me. So if I eat the unleavened bread, I sit there and think, okay, is there something that I haven't done right it's uh, just feeling like, like I did with the, this afternoon, I thought. I felt like uh, it, I should be justified for not jumping out there, even though I talked with Daryl earlier and said I would look at the, at the pump, uh, our pump uh, here on the property. And I did. I looked at it. And I looked at one at George's, and I knew that one of them worked. But I just didn't have the time to do that. So it's easy to... You find you slip up. Find you slip up. 
back in um, in in Samuel, back verse 20, uh, 23 and 22, it said, burnt offerings and sacrifices is in is obeying is not obeying the is not obeying the voice of God. Behold, to obey God is better than sacrifices and burnt offerings. Verse twenty three. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So if we're asked to do something, if we're told that we should be changing our life in some some way, if we rebel against that then it's telling us that that's the same as having witchcraft. God doesn't like that. He's not enjoying that. And it goes on to say, and stubbornness is as, the, as iniquity and idolatry. Do we know what stubbornness is? To be stubborn, that's when we don't do things God's way, is, is dogged, a determination not to change one's attitude or position on anything. So if we're so stubborn when God tells us to do something that we make an excuse for it, does God like us? Does he find some problem with us? Look what happened to uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You talk about somebody being pretty stubborn. He watched his whole nation be destroyed, but he wouldn't change. He was always blaming Moses and Aaron, and all they did was tell him what God said. So, when you want to know who is stubborn, what it gets to you, we know what happened to Pharaoh, king of Mithraim. He was killed, he and all his people. His comment always to Moses was, uh, my excuse is, I don't know your God. He learned him, but he still wouldn't follow. So I think to myself, what is it that I hear over 58 years um, that I don't change? So when I eat that unleavened bread, I had to ask myself, is there something in my past that I am holding back on. You know, we, we talk about a lot of times of putting our sins in a closet or our shortcomings in a closet. Do we, after we take the Passover, which when I took the Passover, when you took the Passover, your sins were forgiven. At that point, God didn't look at you as having sinned. But he wanted us then to unleavened bread to look into our lives and see if we made changes or are we holding things back or do we go back after, how about after unleavened bread? What do we do the next day or the next week? Do we go back to where we were before? Do we remember why we ate unleavened bread? Or can we justify that action? Who brought the information to Pharaoh, king of Egypt? A man, two men, 
Moses and Aaron. And to Pharaoh, these were just human beings like him. They had no power. So he could justify anything he did because it was just another man that did it. You know, back in Second Peter, verse chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, you know how it says that just because a man gives us a sermon or tells us, sits down and counsels with us, a man who God called, a man who God chose, a, a church group, a, a, a group of people, friends, even friends who come to you and tell you things, as it says here in Second Peter, verse one, chapter one, verse twenty-two, twenty-one and twenty, twenty and twenty-one. Anyway, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures is of any private interpretation. So God inspired Peter to say, "Look, this is not what you read in the them. All they had at that time was." The law of the prophets and the writings. That's all they had. And they related all that back to us. So he said, it's not, it wasn't personal with these people. It wasn't what they thought should be done. For the prophecies came not of old times in the Old Testament by the will of men, but holy men, holy people, holy men God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God inspired it. So a lot of the sermons over the years that I've heard, and I've got some pretty strong sermons and pretty strong correction, and to follow that all the time, that's sometimes tough. Because I want to justify myself. I've got the right to do those things. I've got a second example here. A second example of justification in the Old Testament, the history of Israel. What did they do? They were a stubborn, rebellious bunch of people. Every time that push comes to shove, they justified wanting to go back to Egypt. They justified what they did. God sent them up into Canaan to see what he was going to give them. They come back, and they didn't want to go up, and they do. They justified the fact that there were giants there, and they, we just, we're just little, and we can't do it. And You know, they went through a horrendous period of time. They watched a total nation destroyed. They, watched, they went through the Red Sea, or the body of water, which had to be pretty good. It had to be a big opening and had to be far enough across that all of the nation of Israel was inside that body of water. All of them would have been over their head, no matter whether the first or the last, all at the same time. That's why when we baptize somebody, we make sure everything stays under the water, because that's what happened. And so, what did they do? They get out of the body of water, and the first thing they do is they complain that there's no water. They complain that there was no food. They complain that they couldn't go in and do what God wanted them to do because they were too little. It's always the same thing. There's something that justified their actions. So, you know, 
We, most of us haven't seen spectacular miracles. I personally have saw a lady, I anointed a lady, who said the doctors and the nurses all said she wouldn't live to morning. And she lived another year. She got her house in order. I've seen Daryl healed. I've seen people here on the property of one little baby go from just about as dead as you can get to alive. I've seen that. But we can justify it. Well, that was just a, a freak accident or whatever. But it, it was actually happened. It was something that actually happened. Another example I had, and it's in Acts 7, verse 51. It's the whole story there of Stephen. They pulled him in for preaching about Christ. Preaching things that the kingdom of God, what they should do to get to it. And what happened? As Stephen spoke to the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and he talked to him and told him everything, but they were stubborn, and they said, he said, Stephen said to these people, you stiff-necked people, your hearts are and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your your ancestors. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. That's something that we've got to remember. We cannot be stubborn and we cannot resist what God tells us to do. Because he looks at that as, as rebellion. He looks at that as witchcraft. He looks at that as being contrary to him. In Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 5, but I'm, I say you ought to read, take the time. Go back and read verse 25. 125 through 26. And I'm going to read from Romans 2, verse 6. Because of your stubbornness and your uncircumcised hearts, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when the righteous judgment of the, uh, will be revealed. So if we get to the point where we get so stubborn, and, and whether it be uh, keeping the Sabbath, keeping the holy days, serving each other, uh, we've got to be very recognized that we cannot be stubborn to that point that we reject what God tells us. Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, it's very hard. But it's the end result is what we don't want. So I take the unleavened bread and I sit there and say, am I being stubborn? Am I being rebellious? Am I resisting? Or am I just justifying my actions? I've been called on the carpet many times in those many years I've been there in the church. And I chose each time not to justify myself. Because it's easy when you start justifying your actions uh, in the church, I found this. It's easy to cause an argument. And easy, even with each other, it's easy to, to argue. 
even though you don't want to. Uh, but if you justify your actions and blame the other person for the result of what's happening, then are you being a brother or sister in Christ? God doesn't want us to to argue and fight. He wants peace. And when He brings an end to this society that we live in, and brings in and ushers in the new world order, his world order, there will be peace. And it won't be fighting, and it won't be justifying yourself. You have to, if I did it wrong, it's, it's easy to say, that's right, I'm sorry, I made it wrong. Then you repent. You know, when David was brought down, what did he do? He killed a friend. He took his friend's wife. And then what did David do? He said, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. We can read the whole 51st Psalm and find David's repentance. And that's an action that maybe would be good for each and every one of us to think about. So when you go through unleavened bread, you shouldn't stop with just unleavened bread. Not to stop with... Uh, the fact that it's uh, seven days. We need to keep going. There's still uh, 358 days after the unleavened bread that you should take each day and think, am I leavening myself? Am I eating leavened bread? Well, yes, and it's good and we like it and we're only commanded to keep it for seven days. But do we stop looking for who we are? Do we stop justifying our actions? Or are we willing to change and repent? So we have a, an opportunity of God so blessed us so much bringing us out here. It's, it's desert. It's beautiful. But we have an opportunity to live pretty reasonable. It doesn't cost us a lot to live here. But it does cost us a lot. So I'm double talking there. It costs you your life. You can follow God's commands or you can rebel against it. If you think you've come out here that you can get to a place of safety, if that's the only reason you're out here, chances are really good that you won't make it. If your attitude was, I am here to be able to be uh, protected from the, the Holocaust that's coming, that's the wrong attitude. I think I am here to be taught I think I'm here to learn. Uh, it's been difficult at times. I have not really saw at first of this being uh, the beginning of, of uh, civilization, God's way, and that this is where God will come. I did believe when I first came into the, this organization that Zion is a place of safety. I even wrote a letter to a friend of mine who was an elder 
get back in worldwide. Back in Houston, not Houston, I'm sorry, in Fort Myers. And told him, I said, you know, this place looks like a place where God will protect his people, but I'm not telling you that this is a place of safety. Because I think the place of safety for some people could be the grave. But for those who God's working with, I believe that this is the area that God will bring us. So I can't justify myself to say I came out here for a place of safety because I've not seen the protection of safety that the world thinks that you'll have. But I have seen that that God will give us the knowledge, He will give us the understanding, and if it, if it is that we are walking with God, if we're holding God's hand, if we are, like I brought out in that first sermon, if we are humble. And humility is sometimes difficult when you're questioned and put down and challenged or accused. Can you take it patiently? Or do you fight back? So we have to be humble. Do we take what's in the scriptures and realize that if I don't do it the right way, if I'm not 100% behind God, then I'm not, I am not afraid of what could happen. And so I become stubborn and rebellious, and justified my actions. And I'm not walking with God. I want all of us to be there. I think this place is where God called us. I, I, I go out there and I listen to Ross LeBaron. Um, I then read the scriptures. And I feel that God brought me here, he brought you here for a specific purpose, and that is to be a setup crew. You know, there's just a few of us. But when people start showing up, they're going to need somebody that knows what's going on. Now, we can say, well, I'm here, I don't know, because, and I had a person tell me this, a justification back when Worldwide was breaking up, we were going to keep the Passover. Uh, he had a meeting to go to. And I said, you can't go to the meeting, it's Passover. Oh, well, it's not my fault. The minister didn't tell me it was Passover. Where was this guy going to be? He justified himself right out of God's way of life. I'm sorry, that's what happened. So we got to be careful if we, if God tells us to do something, and I believe God has inspired Daryl to be here. I believe God gave him some knowledge back in the 90s. Um, I didn't know him in the 90s. I do remember uh, Charles Dorothy saying when he graduated in 1966, I remember Charles Dorothy mentioning his name. That's all I knew about it, about Daryl, until I read, I listened to the Minor Prophets. I feel God is working here with us, all of us. 
and it is our obligation to support God and His work. So you can you can justify your actions of being here, or you can say, I am here. My justification is God brought me here. God brought you here. That's a good justification. We just have to do it His way and expect He will do it. So, keep your chin up. And like they say, your nose to the grindstone and shoulder to the wheel. You know, like one guy says, you, when the rubber meets the road, that's where you want to be. You want to be there. So, let's all help each other, support each other, and don't justify our stupid actions sometimes, okay? Thank you for coming.